Hi, this is Jennifer Zeman, the host of The Food That Binds, a podcast about food and relationships. I'm a restaurant critic and food writer with over 15 years of experience who lives in Atlanta, Georgia. These are the stories from my South and beyond. Today's guests are Brian Rackley, Matt Christensen, Miles McQuarrie, and Kizzy Patel of Kimball House in Decatur, Georgia. Hi, guys. Thanks for being here. Hi. Could you guys please introduce yourself one by one to people who might not know who you are? My name is Brian Rackley. My name is Kizzy Patel. My name is Matt Christensen. My name is Miles McQuarrie. And we are missing Jesse Smith. He's in England. And where are you guys from? What's your claim to fame? <laughs> well, Matt and I are both from Florida. Um, and uh, he moved up here a little bit before me, and then I followed suit. Jen, I, I've been in Atlanta since 1998. Can I just say I'm from Atlanta at this point? Yes. Yes. Well, Al, what point are you from Atlanta? Well, in that case, I've been here since 2001, so I'm not far behind. I, I still call Florida my home. I'm from England. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to claim Birmingham. <laughs> I, I would too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Miles and I grew up in a town in Florida called Port Warren. The only people that are proud about us that played high school football, and I did not. From Atlanta. And you guys all work together at Kimball House, which is an amazing cocktail and oyster mecca indicator. Um, when did you guys come together, and how did you start a business? Well, we were we all worked together at at a, a pub uh, just north of us at the, at the brick store. Well, Kizzy didn't. Uh, Jesse and I worked there first uh, out of out of college, and then I think Matt and Miles started probably like a year after us. Um, and I mean, mostly I, I think that the inception the concept for having a restaurant in general, I mean, it evolved a lot. But mostly we just uh, we were the last four standing at the end of each shift. Um, we stayed up the latest. We kind of, you know, for better or worse, partied the hardest, and we kind of had the same dream. So. Um, took a while to play out, but I think a lot of this uh, was just rooted in a, us having a, a friendship that started casually at, at work. And so when did you open Kimball House? What year? 2013. And uh, what so was that like? Scary, man. Yeah, terrifying, but exciting, super exciting and super scary. I, I remember the, the right before we opened, um, I was just like, wow, are we really about to do this for our first friends and family? And it was like one of the most um, nerve wracking moments of my life. Uh, but yeah, here we are. And we would, um, when we were all working together uh, at the pub, uh, Kizzy would come in and he was one of our regulars. So we knew him as a guest from uh, before we opened Kimball House. Yeah, one night in June of 2013, I overheard Brian and Matt having a conversation about the build-out for Kimball House, and I just asked if they were opening up a, a new place here in Decatur, and they said yes, and I think I literally put my hand in the air and said I was going to come work for them and force them to give me an interview, and um, yeah, that was that. And you're a partner now, right? That was a recent thing, no? Yes, yeah, that was... Uh, last fall. Congrats. Long time Thanks. coming from a, from, 
from a casual observer. Um, I mean, what is it like? I mean, because you guys have a unique friendship and partnership in my eyes as someone who watches Atlanta restaurants. I, I feel like your relationship has always been front and center and a big part of what makes you such strong restaurateurs. Do you, do you think it's a pro or is it a con sometimes? I mean, I don't think that there's any pros without cons, but I, I know that like having Kizzy be a part of this, this operating group is completely invaluable, but the, the four of us, uh, at least our previous history, uh, aside from, from our involvement with Kieran, we've always kind of had that sort of um, transformer style uh, <laughs> work style where, I mean, we're, we're just a lot better together than we are individually. Um, so, you know, we, wherever we're deficient as individuals, we kind of are able to overcome as a group. Um, you know, I, I would just say that it, it's, we've been in business for almost nine years now and, um, we're still friends. We still hang out, you know, we still, um, you know, ha have like remained best friends throughout all of it. And, uh, we've never had to even like, you know, we, we fight over things sometimes, but we've never even had to like use our operator's agreement or like take anything to an actual like legal vote. We just work it out and make decisions and um, try to make the right ones, sometimes make the wrong ones. And then we just, you know, keep moving. Yeah, I, I would say that uh, involving uh, and partnering in Kizzy has made us even stronger as far as like making decisions and, and, and making smart decisions and, uh, and we now we have an, an internal tiebreaker as well. So even if we <laughs> even if we did get to needing to uh, make a decision, now we we got we had, there's you know there's, 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 there's a fifth. fifth. We, we knew we wanted to keep them forever, and there was really only one way to do that. So that's what we did. Yeah, watching them um, over the years address the things that that came up in in, in running in running Kimball House and. Um, being a part of that from the, from the front of house standpoint and just as an employee um, was really fun, but also just sort of terrifying to see like all the things that came up and then watching the four of them uh, come up with solutions and, and figure things out, even you know, especially through March of 2020 um, was just something that I, I'd always wanted to be a part of. And I'm you know, extremely grateful for that experience. And I mean, the, the, the pandemic wasn't, you know, easy on you guys. You just closed Watchmen, um, you know, and you're still you're still kicking, though, with Kimball House um, and you have your oyster farm, Shiny Dimes, um, which seems like it's coming to fruition. What has the past couple of years been like for you guys as operators and individuals? I mean, it's awesome. Yeah, I mean, just fucking wild uh, just, i mean just completely insane there's just i mean th those first few months of the pandemic there were just there was so many wrong decisions you just couldn't do the right thing according to everyone and we were working in the dark so we just did the best we could but also everything has just moved so fast i mean even now it still seems like things just are moving at lightning speed so um, I don't know. I feel like for the, the five of us, uh, 
trying to just like slow down and see the field and make the best decisions possible for you know us and all of the people involved in this business has been uh, our, our, our biggest challenge. And I think that in that respect, we've done pretty well. You know, we've obviously we you know, disappoint some people, and that's just that's just the nature of of life and and work in general. But um, yeah, it's just everything has moved so fast. But yeah, the the, the farm is is going. Um, we were less stupid down there than we were six months ago, which isn't to say <laughs> we're smart or good, but um, we're just less dumb. So we're we're not making as many mistakes, and we're getting be a little bit more efficient and we've harvested a couple of times uh, matt and i will harvest again next week um so yeah i mean i don't know in terms of just like making each partner's dreams happen i think we're, we're still we're getting checks and boxes i mean and you, i mean a lot of you guys have families small children i mean i i don't know how like i when i interviewed sarah o'brien of little tart i mean i don't know how some people did it and are still standing i mean what what was that like to to just be going through this worldwide event where we're all in beginner's mind because we have no idea what's going on, running a business, taking care of this family that you have created at Kimball House? Because it does seem like a family. There's so many branches, um, people that have been and left. What was that part like? I mean, it was definitely like Brian said, it was just it was wild. We, we had to be really. Um... We had to be really scrappy. It, you know, when the pandemic first happened, we, we were like, well, we can't afford to just shut it down for uh, any amount of time. Um, and so we, I think we closed for two days and then opened up with to-go only. Um, and, uh, and, and we're, you know, started, I think, just doing four days a week and had just the, um, you know, all the salary uh, positions, the managers on. Um, and uh, we just had to completely change our business model um, I, I just remember, you know, with the, from the family aspect, I remember I would, we, we, we still thought that COVID was all over surfaces and I would get home um, mm. and my wife would make me, uh, you know, completely strip naked and put my clothes straight into the washing machine um, and get right in the shower to wash the COVID off that because I'd be dealing with public and the public in some capacity. Um, and then she would make fun of me because I'd be naked and she had been drinking wine because she wasn't working at the time because uh, <laughs> schools were canceled. It was just wild times um, to think back at the beginning of the, of the pandemic and, and where we are now. And I, I think that it was good that we were scrappy and we, and we did what we had to um, and uh, ready to someday put the whole thing behind us. Yeah, our um, Kimball House has always been a, uh, the success has always been a sum of its parts. And that's like that's everyone, the staff, everybody on staff and uh when when the pandemic first like i think it was march 15th when we knew we were gonna have to close uh i kudos to our chef brian wolf he uh he he, he definitely recognized that the food that we serve in the restaurant is probably not suitable for traveling for to-go so he quickly made a a really nice to-go menu that was uh casual but elevated and um, after that second day of being closed, we opened up and we had a line down the street for months. Um, That's awesome. Uh, we did, uh, we did really, I mean, fortunately we did really well. I mean, it was tough. There was a very few of us here, but uh, we definitely, we definitely kept the ship afloat. We really felt the support of the neighborhood as well, the folks in Decatur and just a lot of the, the, the friends and the regulars that we had made over the, the previous years 
um, just like how much and how often they they came out to to get to go food or buy gift cards and um, it really just helped us get through that time but to see those people continuing to support us and continuing to support their local businesses um, and I feel like that was something that was I'm really grateful for to cater especially like that we really felt this community come through for us. You know? I, I mean, I don't think any of us would want to do it again, Jen, but there has been a, a pretty significant silver lining to all this. And, you know, I mean, the, for me, one of the, the greatest things is just that we, it was just blatantly obvious when we started trying to manage the business at the first weeks of the pandemic, that what we were doing was horribly wrong. Um, so it just taught us a lot about how we needed to manage business in general, manage numbers. Um, we, we had goals that we knew we needed to, to accomplish in terms of the way we, we compensate and take care of the people on board. And um, we've achieved pretty much everything we said we needed to do. Uh, it doesn't mean that we're, we're there yet. We still have lots of room for improvement. We always will, but um, it, it, just, it was an opportunity for us to reset um, and we have done so. And I just, I'm a lot more proud of the way we run our business now than I was in uh, February of 2019 or 2020. Did it change the way you felt about hospitality? Being, I mean, like, you know, being afraid of surfaces and all of these things. I mean, I know for me, I mean, as a restaurant critic, like it made me scared to go eat in restaurants, which is pretty substantial. Um, how did it, how did it make you feel about that? That was, gosh, that was, I mean, that's a really tricky one. And honestly, it's like sort of, I think that's evolutionary because I'm, I'm just kind of getting it back as well. And to be honest with you, the coupling of, of uh, COVID and BLM in Atlanta, especially, it made hospitality just feel like bullshit in general. Um, mm. It just felt really trite to pretend to care about someone's needs regarding food and drinks when there was that much going on. Um, and our staff felt it too. Um, it was just, that was a really, really difficult period. And that was, you know, one of those, one of those areas where making the right decision just seemed impossible, uh, at least in terms of how it would affect everyone on staff. So, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, we're getting it back. I think everyone here is getting it back. They're enjoying like at least some like sense of normalcy, but hospitality in general was, at least for me personally, was tricky. It just seemed like something that didn't really matter. Um, and it did. I know a lot of people, like they, people wouldn't have gotten in that line if they didn't care about the service that we offered. But the, the feeling behind it was a little muddy for a little bit, for sure. Like I said, at least for me, I can't speak for everyone on that. But, um, you know, that's why, that's why we work well as a group because, you know, one of us can feel one thing and get picked up by the rest. I'll have to say, we definitely got a lot, a boatload of com compliments about how we handled uh, at least making the guests that did come here once we reopened about with safety and um, just trying to do the best we can with the information that we had about COVID. Uh, and our main focus always has been hospitality. So. Uh, I felt like we did a pretty good job once we once we allowed guests to sit back inside the restaurant. Before that, though, it did, it did feel the the hospitality part was 
still there somewhat, but a lot of it was gone. I mean, we, we didn't get into this to uh, serve, serve bagged food out of a window, um, but it was something we had to do to, to keep going and, and um, you know, keep the people employed and, and provide some of the neighborhood. And, and, and even further than that, you know, I think it was important for Brian to still support, support oyster farmers. So we were like one of the only places to get oysters in town um, during, uh, during the, the shutdown. And, and we were just selling them to go and we would sell them oyster knives and people needed them and even show people how to, uh, to shuck them from a safe di distance so people could still get their, get their oysters. It really showed how many people love oysters during that time sure. too. And we sold them also. Yep, to go oysters, shuck your own. <laughs> I remember the first like oyster I had served to me on ice after the pandemic and a drink. It's like, I think when I think about hospitality, which, which I know I'm not alone in considering you guys a benchmark, um, it, it, you feel cared for, right? And after those two years of doing everything and having kids at home and and just doing everything yourself, like it was so nice to go back and have someone just make you a drink and a yeah. plate of food. Um, it just, I forgot how good it felt. And so in a lot of ways, that hard reset, if you will, enabled me to even enjoy eating out in restaurants even more. I appreciate it, yeah, for sure. You guys provide a, a very important service, I think, for people in terms of self-care. It's a moment, right? It's a respite. There were a lot of people that were really happy to be coming back and getting back out. Um, but then there was also as many people who felt really inconvenienced by the shutdowns and the mask mandates and who were not as um, understanding or empathetic to you know, the situation. And I think having to convey hospitality and service to some of those people were, was difficult in those, in those months when we first reopened. Um, people who were just exasperated at the fact that we were closed and we were only doing to go for a little while. And that took a toll on the staff as well and, and reminding them that there is, there always has been and always will be like a, a sense of dignity in what we do. And, and what we offer people um, was really important to remind ourselves and remind the staff as well that even with difficult guests and with people who, you know, just want what they want with no compromise, um, that we can still you know, overcome that and be able to offer um, the people that come our way these things. That's why kids is the manager and I go home at five. <laughs> um, so another another key relationship I've always noted about Kimball House has been its relationship to education of all sorts, um, whether it was classic cocktails or um, I remember when I first interviewed you guys and learning about this like book of restaurant menus that someone turned me on to that I now have that was just so cool of the restaurants of yore. Um, there's a big sense of of education and everything you do and and especially when it comes to oysters um you guys were really the first to start showcasing southern oysters on the level that you do in addition to mixing it up with oysters from all different regions um why why oysters and and why is educating the public so important um well, like well, a couple of things. Um, oysters just in general, I, I think were, I mean, it's a fascinating outlet and a fascinating pairing. Um, 
they're a, a, a perfect complement to what Miles does with uh, the the beverage programs, whether it's beer, wine, or or cocktails. Um, it's a great way to be. I mean, I've talked about this at length uh, throughout the years. It's a great way to begin a dining experience. It doesn't take a lot of space in your belly. It's very simple. Mm. It really gets the it gets the ball rolling. Um, personally and emotionally, there's just a lot of mitigating circumstances to to the oyster industry um, that make um, coastlines healthier. That uh, the environmental impacts, the ecological impacts of oyster farming, I think, are profound. Uh, the ability to to metabolize nitrogen and sequester carbon. I think those are things that just are, are hugely important. The biodiversity that comes with oyster farming, I think is incredibly important. Um, and, you know, maybe maybe we're naive to think that we can leave the, the planet better than we found it, um, especially feels that way you know, over the last uh, four or five years. Um, but I, I don't think that we're going to just like throw in the towel just because things feel a, a little bit more hopeless than we wanted them to at this point. Um, and, you know, Southern oysters were just something that no one had really ever given a shot. Um, there were these expectations of Southern oysters that were that were real. I mean, you know, there's pockets in Savannah and New Orleans and Apalachicola where you would, you would, you would eat wild harvested oysters. And, you know, there's a lot of pride and a sense of place for the people that, you know, go to those places and vacation there and live there. But in terms of reaching a national audience, I think that we've been able to control a lot of the variables that make those wild oysters like maybe not as appropriate for everyone in the country. Um, and, and now you can feed somebody an oyster from the Gulf of Mexico or the South Atlantic um, and juxtapose those, those textures and flavors with oysters from New England and the Northwest Pacific. And uh, because you've eliminated some of the things that people found offensive about the wild harvest, you've got an, an industry that's succeeding. Um, and that was, you know, something that I, I felt like I could be a part of here. Um, it was something that Bill and I at Oyster South were passionate about. And, um, you know, I, we're certainly not responsible for it, but all the cheering I think has helped. Um, I think there's a lot of people that are out there doing a great job. Um, and oyster farming is a real life industry here in the, in the South now. Can you talk about Oyster South a little for people who don't know what it is? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the short version is just we're just like a regional nonprofit. We're cheerleaders and fundraisers for the industry. Um, uh, it's, it's kind of like, you know, on one hand, it's a fundraiser that gets a lot of people together to raise money for certain programming within our, our, our organization. Um, we put money where we think it's uh, best suited each year to, to sort of increase awareness, increase and, and, and improve that connectivity that we're kind of striving for. Um, and then it's kind of a growers club. We have that annual meeting every year where farmers and staffs and restaurateurs get together. And, you know, some of it's really sciencey and easy to, to sort of lose your place in and other, other, you know, other parts of it are, are really personal. And, and um, yeah, it's just a, a way to, to sort of keep the ball on in terms of awareness um, and education regarding aquaculture in the South. And do you think that oysters are becoming Kimball House's identity, or do you think cocktails will always be number one? It's always been both. Uh, I don't really care, honestly. I mean, I don't mean to sound flippant, but no. I think people are here for both. They're here. For, some people are here for just oysters. Some people are here for cocktails. A lot of people are here for for 
crab claws and salads. Um, a lot of people are here for Kieran. Uh, you know, I think people come here for a lot of reasons. So, um, yeah, in, in terms of just like trying to put, you know, one above the other, um, it's not something that I, I think that would be healthy for me to, to spend a lot of time processing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I think that we, we would all agree that folks come here for, for a, a myriad of, of things, and those are just a, a, a part of the experience. I'll say that when we first opened, we and we still are. It was cocktails and oysters, and you know, we we all, we always knew that was going to be that was that was the thing that we had some of the partners initially super passionate about. But but what we've grown to become over the years is just a really good restaurant, and and not and it's not just about cocktails and oysters. Um, it's hospitality and and our food that um, our chef Brian Wolf and his team um, have have done. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that's become a, uh, this is important of a part uh, of our business model. We wouldn't survive with just, um, just cocktails and oysters. People need to actually have dinner here and have the full experience. And, um, that that's really where we've seen the most growth over the years. You're listening to the food that binds with Jennifer Zeman. I'm joined by the guys from Kimball house in Decatur, Georgia. How long has Brian been cooking there? Oh, gosh, it's been five years now, right? Five, five years. Yeah, five, five years. years. And what's that relationship been like um, in terms of him developing the menu? Has he really made it his own? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he absolutely. does whatever he wants. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's probably a handful of records that buy more or as much organic local produce and meat than we do. I love them. He's a crazy person for sure, um, but I think you have to be to be successful in this industry to some degree. Um, yeah, I mean the, the the direction that Brian took us was it was kind of slow and steady. He didn't just like there the mid part. I mean, we still have things that are on our menu when Jeffrey Wall was the chef. But I think the one thing that he's really done a great job of focusing on is just making sure that stuff tastes good. Um, you know, technique. You know, you, you want to be able to present food that's beautiful when you can, but if it if it's you know not the appropriate temp or not the appropriate texture, then what was the good of making it beautiful? And that's something that he just like has an acute awareness of. It's a how to make stuff taste great. He also tries really hard to make sure the kitchen is always a fun environment and puts a lot of effort into training younger staff and, and, and newer cooks um, and just trying to make them. Yeah, I've been in the restaurant business for a long time. I've never worked. There's not, there's not yelling. There's, you know, there's, they're, they're cutting up and they're having fun, but they're also um, really focusing on making sure that every service is being executed correctly. Um, and, you know, they pay really respect the ingredients that they're working with. And can you, can you talk about Shiny Dimes? Um, what is going on with it? And I think I saw recently that you are serving them as part of the menu at Kimball House right now, or is that just a one-time thing? Uh, no, um, much to the chagrin of my family, it's become more of like a bi-weekly trip to Florida to uh, manage the farm. Um, so yeah, we've done we've done two harvests so far. Um, we've sold some oysters to uh, our distributor Evans in Birmingham. Uh, last week, so we were able to get them into some other markets. Uh, we got them to Nashville and. Birmingham and New Orleans. So 
Yeah, I mean, we don't have a ton of seed down there because this year's awesome. been kind of just like a learning year. But um, we just ha- we have the the assistance of just like two of the most beautiful and wonderful human beings that we could have been blessed with uh, in the form of uh, Jody and Dewey Howe. They have a, a small farm uh, near us uh, called uh, Cypress Point. And um, they grow little honeys and otter's choice, which you may, if you've been at our restaurant, you've seen them on the menu before, but um, they've really just coached us up and uh, having the opportunity to work with them. I mean, the, the Shiny Dimes uh, part wouldn't work without having their help. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know that we expected to have oysters available as we did, but um, we're just kind of you know taking their suggestions and following their, their example. And you know, we, we grew, uh, a, a plot of 25,000 oysters in about six months. And so, yeah, we're just, uh, wow. as they get to, to what we think is an appropriate uh, market-ready size for, for Kimball House, we have been going down bi-weekly to uh, make harvest. So, yeah, um, brought in some last week, uh, and then Matt and I will, will be down again next week, and we'll, we'll bring back another, another uh, 2,000. It's really exciting to see it on other people's menus, too, this, this uh this labor of love. Uh, uh, last week, the lot was selling some, and then hopefully next week we'll have some more uh, local restaurants happen as well. I didn't realize how intensive oyster farming was until you, until you guys had that symposium many years back at Kimball House. Just how much turning has to happen and how much actual handling it's it is. It does seem like a labor of love um, and very personal. Why why did you guys call the oyster farm shiny dimes? That's for you, Matt. I mean, uh, the rest of us just thought it sounded cool. We, <laughs> uh, we, we, we all like uh, had a list of, uh, of names that we, that we liked, and we kind of went through them all. And uh, I think just like uh, the size and uh, the sound of it and um, the look, we just felt it kind of just represented what we wanted to do. Um, uh, it had a good ring to it, you know. Um, you know, we want to be we want to be memorable. So, um, I think that's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a super petite, uh, deep cups, adorable little oyster. Um, and the name just fit what we were trying to do. So, I mean, the fact that we were able to produce an oyster that fit sort of the mental description that we were trying to achieve with that name was, I guess it's like part luck, but, um, and it, and we've also seen over the years of doing this, that. I don't know if it could break you, but it could definitely having a good name can make you. Um, <laughs> we've had oysters that are good that just don't that have that good that ring that bell, and uh, they don't sell as well. So we wanted to make some make sure we had something that was like catchy, name wise. And is there anything else coming up um, that you guys want to promote? Any special events? Um, any organizations? This is your place to shout it out. Oh, I'm pretty sure we're hiring Jen. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't, I haven't heard that before. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a tough industry. Uh, you know, we're 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 not special. We're not in, in a boat that anybody else isn't traveling in. But yeah, we always use the always use a bit more help. Um, yeah, in terms of just like events, gosh, I mean, uh, Matt and his buddy Avery have been doing these these gene uh, pop ups here, which is. Uh, barbecue related. Matt, you want to talk about jeans a little bit? Yeah, so um, we had a uh, a former colleague and then uh, employee and um, more uh, importantly friend. His name's Avery Cottrell. Um, he, uh, 
he moved out to New Orleans after culinary school and worked at Pesh for a long time and then became a pit master at a place called The Joint. And uh, he's from, he grew up in Decatur and he's from here. And he and his family moved uh, back uh, about a year and a half ago. And um, we've been talking about doing something more casual for a while. Um, it is definitely going to be focusing on uh, on um, smoked meats, uh, mostly in like the in the Texas style, but it's not just going to be that. We've had a lot of success with these pop ups. We've done a whole bunch of them. We've sold out every single one of them. We're excited Congrats, to uh, wow. excited to see what's what's next with that. I mean, we do eventually plan on a brick and mortar, but for now, we're just building hype and having fun doing pop ups. And then, um, was that uh, your side project? Would that be just something apart it's be from? All of yeah. Uh, oh, for all of you guys yeah 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 and uh you know um i think it's, it's wise if we continue to grow businesses um that we start partnering in younger folks and friends that we trust and we believe in um and then uh i guess like some uh we could mention shell to shore something that we've been excited about um yeah, sure. That, that, that event just passed, but Oyster South is actually. Uh, Jen, have you been to Landlock before? I have. It was awesome. We'll have one coming up again this year on October 16th. So I know that's a ways out, but that I mean that event last year was was uh, I mean it, it couldn't have couldn't have been any better. And can least. you talk about it? I don't think a lot of people know about Landlocked that yeah, are outside so of the food know. world. You know, Landlock is it's it's Oyster South like annual fundraiser it's basically what floats the the nonprofit um for the year um we had it at legacy park in decatur last year um first time in that location but we had i think 25 oyster farms and farmers from around the united states most of them were southern but they were all shucking their oysters uh, at like a giant like sort of raw bar environment for for guests to, to try um Miles accumulated a, a handful plus of, of great uh, cocktail bartenders. Uh, so lots of cocktails. We had a bunch of breweries that were involved. Um, and then pitmasters uh, and, and chefs from around the Southeast. And I mean, like heavy hitters, people that are like, you know, top of their, their game. Um, and, and, you know, they cook food and um, it's, a, it's a great day. And we raise a lot of money and we have different beneficiaries um, every year. And uh, this year we're working with a group out of Athens um, called Shell Ashore. Um, these guys are, it's a, it's a lot of like current and former employees of Seabear um, and uh, the National. And uh, they basically are kind of modeling themselves after a Billion Oyster Project in New York City. Um, and, and they've started a, a shell collection um, or a shell recycling company. Um, so they're picking up shells from festivals and restaurants um, and they're curing them. And then those shells basically become uh, strategically placed in marshy and intertidal areas off the Georgia coast. Um, and they're, they're building reefs with them. Um, and I think one thing that a lot of people don't know is that wild baby oysters love to land on other oysters. They love a hard surface. So um, creating artificial reefs with shells creates the potential to have like a living reef. Um, and once you can make that thing live and you've really created an ecosystem. Um, so um, we're partnering with them this year. We're gonna raise some money for them so that they can uh, keep growing and keep expanding. Um, it's an expensive operation, requires a lot of gear, a lot of time, a lot of gas. Um, but I mean, 
yeah, that kind of work I think is just super, super cool. Um, and we honestly just couldn't be more excited to, to get a chance to work with a group like this year or like that this year. And, um, and hopefully see them, uh, uh, grow. I mean, just like any like Georgia nonprofit, I mean, look at what giving kitchen is doing now. So it's, it's, it's cool to see people start somewhere and, and where they end up and how many people they can impact. What do you think makes Atlanta special as a restaurant town? Community. I feel like a lot of people work together. A lot of people, a lot of uh, staff, restaurateurs are friends and help each other out and uh, and support each other. Um, that's how I see it, personally. Uh, I think that we also have the benefit of, you know, I know there's a lot of, um, a lot of places that have this, but others don't, is that we, um, because we're a big city with a lot of rural areas around us, we just have access to great seasonal produce, um, which has always been big. And the, and the interesting thing that, that relates directly, I think, to the, to the cocktail and, and bar scene is that we're a, a, a city with restaurant bars and j- just due to laws, you don't have like other major cities where it's just a bar. Um, you know, it's always a bar with a kitchen. Um, so I think that uh, relationship between the bar and the kitchen has always been um, really important for Atlanta restaurants as well. I think Matt covered it with the, with the sense of community. Like we still see so many um, other industry folks coming through. And I, I know that when pretty much all the staff will make efforts to, to dine out at other restaurants and, and hang out with other bartenders and servers and, and maintain those relationships among themselves. And it really does um, create a sense of camaraderie and that they have so much to share, so much to talk about. Um, and just overall just makes them better at their jobs and they enjoy what they're doing and they, they feel um, like they can be connected with their guests. And so if people want to uh, follow you guys, where is the best place to keep up with everything you're doing? Mostly Instagram. Yeah, Kimball House Instagram, Shiny Dimes Instagram. I would suggest the bar. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I appreciate your guys' time. I really admire what you guys do, too. And I really encourage Atlanta to get out and support Kimball House and Shiny Dimes and all of the people that make it what it is. Thank you. Well, thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks so much. I guess we didn't see you. Uh, if anybody uh, listening to this, um, we're definitely hiring all positions. Uh, <laughs> we have a great work environment. <laughs> you get to work with these guys. They seem pretty chill. Well, thank you again. And um, I can't wait to come and taste those oysters. Absolutely. Yeah. Good to talk to you. Yeah. All right. Bye, guys. Well, that's this week's episode. Thank you to the boys from Kimball House for joining me. And thank you to you for listening. If you want to keep up with me, you can find me as Jennifer Zeman or The Food That Binds on Instagram and Twitter. Next week, I'm joined by Parnas Sabong and Rod Lassiter from Talap Market Restaurant in Atlanta. Again, thanks for listening. And we'll be back next Sunday. This has been Jennifer Zeman of The Food That Binds.